You're listening to the Changing Lives Podcast, where we talk with health professionals, industry experts, and everyday heroes, changing lives on the front lines through emergency healthcare. I'm Ben Cleaver. And I'm Tim Buxton. Welcome back to the Changing Lives Podcast. Welcome, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah, in this second and final part of our interview with advanced care paramedic Jamie Hibbert, we learn about the strengths and the blind sides also mm. of being a paramedic and a father, particularly when his own kids get injured. <laughs> yes. Now, Jamie shares how he balances family with shift and overtime work, which is, I think, really helpful for anybody looking to do the same. Now, humour plays a significant role in Jamie's approach to life, family, and his vocation. He's a father of four, which means he is a king of the dad joke, recognised both at home and at work. Um, but interesting, he's a published author on the topic of dark humour uh, and how it's used amongst paramedics as a way to cope with the trauma and catastrophe that they witness on a daily basis. He is also a proud Star Wars fanatic and a keen philosophizer, which means when combined, well, we get a deep reflection on life using Star Wars metaphors and, of course, character impersonations. Yeah, you're going to love this interview. We had a great time chatting with him, and uh, I think, uh, well, we should go straight to it. What do you reckon? Excellent. Great. Let's do it. So a few times last few years, uh, we have actually sat down as a family and gone, hey, mum and I are thinking that we're going up to it for a road trip. Oh, yeah, where are we going? So we, we plan it together. They get excited for it. We have all these dreams and stuff together because then when dad does another overtime shift i go oh guess what i just earned uh, the accommodation for whatever place (laughs) and they they flood it into aha he's doing that for me for us you know it's not just for dad's techno gadgets again or you know (laughs) something that dad always works dad always gets the treats dad always buys his fun but what about my time with you know what about my sports or more my bicycle has fallen apart if they, can, if they can attribute time away from dad, especially surplus time away, to something that's going to be towards the family, it, it takes the burden or the strain off or the pain out of it sometimes. Um, my little one still misses daddy for tucking at bedtime, you know? They still have dinner without dad or, you know, still plate waiting for me, but it's, it's with a purpose. And it's not always achievable, but when you can achieve it, it's, it's um, it's very much uh, takes the takes the the sting out of it sometimes. One day, I, worst dad moment ever. I refused to take my son to hospital because he rolled out of bed and hurt his arm. And um, I was coming off a double night shift. I was absolutely smashed. I said, I can't do it. I said to my wife, You do it. So I went back to sleep, snore my guts out, woke up in the morning all fresh and happy because I'd slept. She wakes up, rolls over, bleary eyed. I said, what happened? And he, she said, yep, uh, he's in a back slab and we got fractured clinic in the morning. I went, oh, <laughs> he fractured his arm. <laughs> and I was like, nice oh, one, come man. on, you roll out of bed, that's stupid. <laughs> and other times, um, I don't know, my, my little girl, she slapped a hand on the floor and um, opened up her finger, just, just burst the, the finger on impact. And it was still intact, but it was a cut. And that the skin had peeled back and everyone was screaming. There was blood everywhere. 
And the dad part of me was freaking out. Oh my gosh, what have you done? You're bleeding. And the paramedic side of me was like, that's amazing. I can still see her fingerprint. (laughs) (laughs) And the skin's not there. And I had to meet in the middle and go, okay, how are we going to rationalize this? And she didn't go anywhere. We patched it up and, you know, she was fine. But the freak out in me, I was experiencing what the patients experience as a parent, as a home whoa, this is bad. And then once the, the, the medic in me kicked in, I'm going, okay, let's think about this. Cover it up and it will heal. You know, and so you have these, you have these crossovers of, of, of reality, I guess. And um, you've got to differentiate between the two, you know, quick to judge, but then that's not the diagnosis. You've got to judge something initially but you always have to keep an open mind that it's actually something else that could be going on. And that's probably 40, 30 to 40% of the cases we go to. Mm. They have this presentation, which they call the complaint, but the underlying cause has to be found. And that's sometimes the secret of ambulance. So Jamie, that's a really good, interesting. You're a father of four. And um, can you talk yep. about the how to balance your family life, how to keep... Um, you know, your, your, how to address your family's needs. <laughs> mm. uh, and does that, being a father of four or a husband, does that inform who you are and how you go about your, your job? It definitely does. Um, one of the, the, the uh, traps, I guess, of this job, especially for someone who, myself who loves it so much, is you get drawn into it, you know. Um, there's always overtime shifts going. So you've got to resist the urge to always do overtime unless there's an actual project or something, you know. And the family needs come in where, if dad's always away at work, they, they get used to life without you. Um, and that's something that occasionally breaks my heart because I want to be a dad first. So being there for the family is, for me, the foremost thing. Um, yes, there's tug of wars. Um, there's the shift extension. Rule number one is you never plan anything after a shift because you won't make it. Um, you know, the, the three certainties of life for a paramedic are death, taxes, and shift extension with meal overtime. You know, so it's it's a tug of war. It's, it's, it's always going to be there. Um, and I think the secret behind doing all these what I've just said is being purposeful with and towards your family. So a few times last few years, uh, we have actually sat down as a family and gone, hey, mum and I are thinking that we're going up to it for a road trip. Oh, yeah, where are we going? So we, we plan it together. They get excited for it. We have all these dreams and stuff together because then when dad does another overtime shift, I go, oh, guess what? I just earned uh, the accommodation for whatever place. <laughs> and they, they slot it into, aha, he's doing that for me, for us. You know, it's not just for dad's techno gadgets again or, you know, <laughs> something that you know, dad always works, dad always gets the treats, dad always buys his fun, but what about my time with, you know, what about my sports or more my bicycle has fallen apart? If they, can, if they can attribute time away from dad, especially surplus time away, to something that's going to be towards the family, it, it takes the burden or the strain off or the pain out of it sometimes. Um, my little one still misses daddy for tucking at bedtime, you know. They still have dinner without dad or, you know, there's still a plate waiting for me. But it's 
it's with a purpose and mm. it's not always achievable but when you can achieve it it's it's um it's very much uh, takes the takes the the sting out of it sometimes do your kids and family have a sense of pride about what you do i think so um they they love you know come sometimes i get occasionally visit home with with a truck and they go oh look at this you know and they 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 love talking about you know what dad does at work and because it, there is there is a glamour to the job in the eyes of the public um i don't know why it's so sexy but it is and it's something that would something that dad does it's cool you know and um my son even you know has i, I share about police stories sometimes we do backup crews or they back us up for safety and my son's even thinking about doing police work you know because he's a natural detective anyway and loves dobbing on his siblings and <laughs> but i think sometimes based on the stories i brought home about the police you know he's and, and the and the interaction with the ambulance he may have been influenced by that i don't know but i i feel that they're not embarrassed or ashamed with what i do which is a good thing because uh community service and, and helping people it's one of the uh core family beliefs that we have in our system you know our family system well you're a great dad and uh thank you it sounds like though uh you you can't be a, a really good dad unless you've got a few uh honed your skills and a few yeah the dad joke i heard you're, a, you're a, got a reputation <laughs> yeah so um, among the force you know you're doing well when your six-year-old at the time comes up with her own dad joke and then laughs at it like, oh, <laughs> that's good trained him well but um Yes, dad jokes are the bane of humanity, and I, I love to specialize in them. Uh, I don't apologize for that because I love, you know, dad jokes are how I roll. You know, it's just, it's happened, you know, and you watch the spelling on that, you'll get that one. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think a day without a pun or a dad joke in this life, in this family is one that we would be all dead because if I don't crack it, my, my 15 year old's hot on my heels. Um, my, my son isn't too smashed hot on them, but the other, my younger daughter as well, she, uh, she's coming up behind as well. So it's, we just love them. It's, it's, it's a culture, I guess, uh, that, that in star Wars, it's, it's something that we do. Yeah. And, um, we, it's, it's becomes not who we are, but we're, I guess, known for stuff like that. You've brought and, that into the workplace, though, haven't you? This this uh, this culture of of humour and being able to to bring in. In fact, you've published some articles uh, in yeah. some journals about the role of dark humour in yeah. uh, life as a parent. Can you tell us a bit more about why you chose to to do that? Yeah, well, something I noticed throughout early on in my career, but also throughout the whole time, is um, dark humour is everywhere, and it's I like. I guess it started, I like teaching my children lessons through shock factor, good and bad, you know, <laughs> a form of discipline that will shock them like, oh, I'm never doing that again. And they'll remember the experience because of the outcome, good or bad, you know. Um, and I sort of transitioned or take that thought into, into the work life where dark humor is where it's everywhere. It's like, oh, you shouldn't say that. But when you go into the psychology of why, it's it's especially on road, it's it's the coping mechanism, the universal way that people get through um, the grief moment or the, the shock of 
of um, what they've just experienced because they have to process that. And it's a way that people can process and people do it differently. Like my personality is way different to yours and, and so forth. And the things that you find funny, I won't really um, laugh at maybe, but the things that I find hilarious, you might find offensive or shocking, you know, but when you, when you bring the culture of people into one place under one roof on road, we're dealing with the same kind of things. And so that, that characteristics of, of dark humor and, and black humor and is, is real and it's everywhere. And I, I approached it on the concept of, well, who should learn that and should they learn that? Because students, first time on road, they're coming out of a, a nice, you know, sheltered home, 19-year-old, fresh at uni, you know, never seen, I don't know, <laughs> the dark door or anything. And next thing you know, they've been thrown into this massive car accident, bodies, blood and guts everywhere. And then people cracking jokes about, I don't know, whatever it is. And they go, did wow. I just hear that? <laughs> you, you can't say that. How did you, how can you say that? They just die, you know, and all these, and, but once they get, I don't want to use the word accustomed to it, but once, once you look, take a look inside from the other side, now mm -hmm. we're taking a look from the, from paramedics perspective, not the patient's perspective. When, um, you, it's, yeah, some of us is downright nasty, but it's the way that people can manage what they've just dealt with. They've had a massive personal blow. They've just cradled a dying baby or, said you know seen something horrible happen and they have to cope with that now they have to process they have to put it behind them for the next job mm. so one way that they use that to compartmentalize is make a crack have a laugh have a bit of relief comic relief at someone's expense because that's the d definition of dark humor mm. uh, laughing at someone's expense and then move on and it's not that they mean any one single word of it, but it's a way to get them through the moment. Now, whether or not the, the viewer agrees with this mentality, I don't, it doesn't matter because that's how it happens. Mm. It's just like trying to drop an apple, you know, and, and tell a scientist it's going to go up. It's not going to happen because the way people, and not everyone's like this, but the way the general, uh, my observations about the general dark humor in this job, uh, some of the conversations that you, you will hear in the write-up room or around the kitchen table at station, don't repeat them. That, that's not for public um, consumption, <laughs> but it's a vital aspect of helping someone debrief mm. that keeps them on road for the next 20 years um, in, in some cases. It's not every case, you know, but in, in the extreme cases, I, I have found that um, it's a way to get through not just the day, but the job and the career. So this article is basically addressing all of that, the, the, the psychology and theory behind it, I guess, because it's an academic article, but also introducing the concept of should students learn that? Or should they learn it? And then how are we going to teach that to them in an appropriate and professional manner? Because the concept of professional black humor is the ultimate oxymoron in the universe, but it happens. You know, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, I don't know. It, it was just an assignment that I did for uni, one of my um, subjects, and the feedback that came from my lecturer was like, "This is great. You need to publish." Wow. Um, and my response is, "I'm not done yet. I ran out of word count, so I topped it up, said what I wanted to say, and submitted it. And fortunately, it was accepted by the um, 
the Paramedics Social Leisure magazine um, a couple of few years ago. So yeah, it was uh, my journey into, into that, and it's always there. It's always alive. It's been sort of backbenched a bit, but um, it's it's something that won't go away. Oh, thanks for sharing, mate. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Fascinating. Um, I understand you're a Star Wars fanatic as well, Jamie, and I do recognise the uh, Millennium <laughs> Falcon cockpit at the back there. Yep. Um, mate, what Star Wars character are you? I'm definitely Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the ultimate villain. I'm Please sure my explain. kids will agree with that with their dad experience. Mm. Um, the thing that Star Wars, or Darth Vader in particular, that gives me hope because there's good in him. Um, obviously, he's introduced as a villain, especially when you go back to the prequel trilogy uh, that shows the journey, mm. you know, the story of redemption. Um, it's basically Star Wars. If you sum it in one word, it's redemption. Because Gannikin is the central character, mm. you know. Mm. Technically, it's R two because he saved the whole series, but we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> go <laughs> but, droids. Um, yep. You know the story. Even seven, eight, nine. It's still the aftermath of Darth Vader, even though it's, the shift focuses towards the, the Palpatines. You know, and for me, the personal story of, of Anakin's demise, slump, dark period, right at the end redemption happens because there's still good in him you know and i like to i suppose comfort myself with my shortcomings and failures as a person um that despite all of that my kids love me there's still hope for me you know and um there's another day to be a jedi you know um the force is strong in our family there's always <laughs> there's always um jokes and one-liners we've actually created our own one-liners in, in text messages my wife and i just do a three-letter acronym, and we know what it means. Um, or I'll send. I've got a bunch of um, saved video micro clips to send one-liners as a response to a text <laughs> that we always use. Um, you know, it's a bit sad, I guess. But um, for us, it's a way of life, I guess. Um, the way we do with life. For me, there's a lot of parallels with um, Star Wars and, and, and the spiritual journey as well. And um, we find that we're always talking about it, you know, the philosophical side of, of the Force and um, the Sith and, uh, you know, one's place in, in, in the universe when it comes to Star Wars, but also their own existence. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I was expecting like Jar Jar Binks or something like that, but, and I was <laughs> not expecting... Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I was not expecting the uh, deep philosophical correlation. So thanks, Jamie. No worries. I always like to have the impact on others. That's a positive one. Um, so I suppose if you want to talk philosophical, the force, um, you know, the dark side, there is a dark side of this job. And a lot of people focus on that. But there's a bunch of Jedi fighting that dark side every shift. And I like to think of myself as, you know, always a most of the future is. You, you paint your own future with the jobs that you attend and how you, um, how you, how you approach them. It almost, it almost encapsulates like the theme I felt through this whole conversation, right? Is 
is this ability to not just see something as it is, right? Not oh, to yeah. judge it as it is, but to realize that you have a a fortuitous role. You can, the way you approach this, your attitude, your mindset can actually... Um, so maybe maybe from that angle, mm-hmm. do, you, Absolutely. do you mind if I lead in with that? Yeah. Or I don't know if well, you want to... It goes back to the whole... I can't believe I'm attending this patient for this case job. It's like you go there, especially on their own, you get to, you, you got nothing to bounce off. So sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's bad. If you're in a seriously bad slump and like you go to the job, you think this cannot be real. You've got to be, what are they thinking? You know, if you go in with that mentality, you're already with a fight. And I've been there plenty of times as a, as a, as a medic where yeah. you go in, you're two hours over time, you're hungry, you're tired, you've got a headache, you shouldn't be here, you've just missed something and and you've had a bad day anyway. And now you've got someone who called because, oh, my knee hurts, you know, something stupid. It might be two hours over time for that, but you, maybe it's, and this is the actual reality, it's, 40, it's 15 minutes before you've ended shift, you're supposed to end shift. Mm. And they dispatch you 30 minutes away to this job. And you go, you've got to be kidding. So you rock up there, um, happened last week actually, angry, tired, cranky, blah, blah, blah. And then you have to deal with this person's complaint. But now you've got this, the, the philosophical side of, well, I can project all of my filth onto her for her calling, or I can actually try to listen out and, and, and stand out what, what the, um, the story is. And this, this is one particular lady, well, try not to get into specific details so be identified, but she was, living alone and every t- every day at the end of the night she gets really anxious because she's alone she, she, she hits a button we come taking the hospital nothing wrong because it's a psych, psychi- um, psychiatric condition where she works herself up and now once she's at the hospital it's all fine so it goes away now I'd been to her my arrival was her fourth presentation for the month for the same thing the family was beside themselves because it's always happening they were actually on the, getting the um, a, a, um, respite care arranged that day and to start the following day. And I had to take them all the way into the Royal. I thought, man. So I thought, look, let's just do this. So I tried to sit down. I had to listen to her story, listen to the care on scene, talk with a family, which was a conference call, took extra time. And all, of, all this time I was like, okay, Make give up, make give up. I just thought, just, just go with this, make the most of it. So I listened, drove her in, handed over, had to this massive case sheet. And the doctor, it turned out, the doctor who I handed over to was actually on the, last, the previous night, which was the night that she also presented. And he was like, oh, not her again. We've dealt with her before. There's nothing to do, blah, blah, blah. I said, look, it's different this time. Um, this is the story. They've actually got stuff in place. It's starting tomorrow. She just needs... Somewhere to stay safe to, to stay overnight, um, and everything else should start the wheels in motion tomorrow. So, and the look in his face was like, "Oh, oh, that's good, excellent, well done," you know. And it just changed. And I, I remember thinking back to myself, "Wow, I could have just gone, oh, get the hospitals, take you in, and drop her and dump and run." And that's all I wanted to do, but I had to fight that that negative. Um, and it, it was a, it's, it's a natural desire. It's a natural response of humanity just to go, right, 
you do, you earned that stuff yeah but to see through that and to go okay let's look at the bigger picture and it's part of the LaRue thing again take that step back in that case she didn't need a hospital but she needed a respite and there was nowhere else for her to go so hospital was, was the best place but had I not taken that time to actually look into the social situation uh, which was the presenting actual complaint now I went I went to chest I was called to chest pain um, heart racing and something else to do with like a mental health condition mental health breakdown it came through as that were the that was what we were seeing on the surface but the actual underlying condition was what i had to explore and find out and treat in the form of a transport for the next morning and that's a classic case of something you go to uh even as an acute crew where you you just need to sometimes suss out and play detective for a bit put everything aside what's just happened to you as a person because that's going to get in the way um and sometimes you've got to feel the force to do that and listen to the inner voice, the inner, just take a step back type feeling mm. and go with your gut. Um, and that takes time to practice too, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's been really insightful to talk to you, Jamie. Um, I really like your approach to putting yourself in the patient's you know, shoes in their head. And I think you've hit on some really, you know, just great ways of approaching, no matter what your scope is, these are real people that we're helping and we're there, mm -hmm. like you said, was it, I'm there for them at this right now, what they need yep. from me right now mm -hmm. and whatever it may be. And uh, it sounds like you're in such a great uh, uh, fit for you too, your role as a LaRue officer it's the stepping back, assessing the situation, um, not broad brushing people when you, you know, go and see them and identifying maybe some of those more subtle underlying issues that they need addressing. And I, I learn a lot about uh, the service as a whole mm -hmm. and different levels and scopes of practice that you can operate in. Um, I'd really like to ask you, we have a, a lot of listeners that are either starting out uh, that may be doing a diploma in paramedical science um, or they may be considering this line of work. Would you have any advice for them, particularly now knowing what you do now? Mm -hmm. um, and you said before that, you know, when you started out, you really didn't know what it meant and what it was like to be a paramedic. You just had mm -hmm. this kind of generalized concept of, of the work. And um, obviously now you have an informed uh, viewpoint and you know many years on road. What yep. would you say to, to students now? Uh, first of all, the words reality check. Um, and this is something to go in knowing upfront. Ambulance has had a, a experienced a massive dynamic shift in the healthcare industry. Um, and we're at the forefront of that change. So t 20 years ago, yes, it's all car accidents, all babies, all death, drownings, whatever. That's now probably 50% of our workload, less maybe. Um, it's not all blood and guts. In fact, it's more poo and spew. And the reality side is that people go in expecting this glamorous lights and sirens, yeah, high acuity, cannulas and whatnot. When half the day you can, and, and they expect young people and middle-aged people, you can do a whole shift doing geriatrics, like old people, um, frail nursing homes, mental health, 
um, it hurts, I'm hungry. And a lot of people come into this job disillusioned that they um, are going to do all the good stuff when really you got to sometimes go a week and a half before you get the big job. I went six months between big jobs once. It was, it was frustrating because I had the wrong mindset. I'm not here for the big job. That's probably take home number one. I'm here for whatever patient I get to, no matter what. And that's what I've just been the whole time talking about. Um, the other thing is, not that I want to discourage people, but it's a reality in today's world. Degree equals not job necessarily. Um, there are sometimes, I don't know what the exact stats are, but at least 10 to 20 applications, if not more, per role that's available. So it, it's great. I, I encourage anyone, if you've got an interest, this job's about passion, as you probably picked up. It's not a it's not a paycheck. It's a passion. It's not just something to do to fill my day, and then I get to go home and spend time with my kids. I get to I get to do something I love, and I haven't worked a day in my life. And that's why I really wanted to, to do that, and I've done it. But it's about if you've got a passion for studies, diploma leading to a degree, that's continue because you you're doing this for a reason, obviously. And that's I don't want to crush that drive because. When you get to the other side, you get through your placement program. Every every, every um, graduate does a GPIP, I think. But then after the GPIP, you have to reapply for a job. And that's where it gets really competitive because if, you, if you're not willing to work anywhere but the metro, it could be a bit disappointing for you because a lot of people might have to go out to uh, west or up north or, you know, remote areas for a time. You know, they have um, transfer points you can add up in, per year and all that. And not everyone's unlucky, but not everyone's that lucky to get exactly where they were and just stay there. I was lucky because I came in before the whole degree-based training. Once I, once you're in back then, it was that's where you are. But now it's changed. There's a lot of demand, a lot of competition. And I don't want to discourage people, but I want you to know that you could be the best paramedic, future paramedic out there and I don't want you to not apply just because you think that you might not get in. Mm. Um, the one station had three of the top CCPs in the in the region. The one station, you know, like 20 years ago, they have all they're all there. You just don't know where they're going to be. Um, there's always another role. Mm. There's always another person who'll fill that role if you don't. You know, and so just going knowing that it's incredibly rewarding. It's incredibly challenging to get in, mm. but you will not regret the journey, you know, and um, a lot of people actually do the double degree, the paramedic and nursing double, mm. it's a four year. Um, if, you, if you're wavering and will fail, I shan't I, do it. It's only an extra year of study. It's a whole extra career option. And uh, it's something you can fall back on with nursing. I know quite a few have gone to nursing instead of paramedics. They prefer the paramedic side, but because of there's no opportunity there or no, there's been no job offer, they can go into nursing and keep their skills active, um, which is probably my next point. Stay active, stay mm. mentally active, um, research, or not research, but read, study. I've got three um, academic kind of micro projects on the go at the moment that I shift between. I treat them like full-time university studies without assignments. You know, like you've got psychology, you've got to do that. Oh, I've got to go back and do my 
whatever other unit and they've got this, this assignment due in the third unit so you've got to do a bit of each across the term so I, I switch between reading a textbook which I'm working my way through for background knowledge um, and also practicing my drug therapy protocols and um, my skills I'm trying to do you know to keep my LaRue stuff up so I just switch between them and it keeps me active and prepared because a few years ago just thought, I'm having a break do nothing did nothing for two years and I just felt my my mental acuity just mm. stagnate and I could feel it. I thought I've got to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to drop out if I don't be careful. Um, so suppose you go a degree, you finish up, you go two years before job offer, then you, you'll freak out because you're underskilled, underpracticed, mm. uh, out of, out of the loop, you know? And so just keep, keep alert, keep active with your background reading. You don't have to be crazy about it or stupid, but just, just, I don't know, get a journal, subscribe to a feed. Um, you know, I, I bought a textbook. You can get e-books really cheap. Mm. Uh, I'm just working my way through. Uh, uh, it's like a thousand pages of physiology and, uh, you know, human physiology. Get podcasts. Just keep yourself active. They say if you read an hour a day in your chosen work of field, after seven years, you'll be an industry expert. That's the, the saying. So... I should be a double industry expert <laughs> based on that and, and my time in the field. And yeah. I'm not because I've, you know, done other things and that's fine. But it's that the potential is, is there 1% better every day, you know, and, and, and that's what I encourage people to do just because you've done a degree doesn't mean you won't always necessarily get a job, but just because you didn't get that job, stay prepared for the next round, the next intake, mm. you know, if it's really what you want to do, don't give up. Um, passion it's just it's, it's about following your dreams your drive i wanted to be a doctor and i didn't think i had it in me um so i didn't even pursue that in the end and i, I, I always look over my shoulder thinking oh man i could have been a consultant by now you know mm. um am i going to let that um stop me now well no i'm not doing what i initially dreamed to do but there's no way i could have had the impact on the people that i'm impacting right now both patients and colleagues if I wasn't right here, right now in this job, mm. and that wouldn't have happened if I'd have done doctor. I mean, yeah, it would have affected other lives elsewhere, but I know that my purpose is for now and here, and that's what I've discovered through the journey. Yeah. Well, well Jamie, uh, love your passion. It's, it really is inspiring, um, obviously you're highly motivated, but what I hear too is that, that, that perseverance um it's taken taken you a while to get to where you're at and, and i don't think for any student out there that's kind of beginning the journey i think hearing your story mm. um and the dedication and the passion but also that perseverance it takes to to get there i think will we'll, you know they'll be able to take that away mm. from it and um and mm. and experience what seems to be i mean what we're hearing a pretty fulfilling career mm. um there's definitely yeah. highs and lows but the trend is always up. Yeah. And that's all I can really say, you know, with the right attitude towards the approach of the job. Yeah. Excellent, mate. It's been great talking to you. Great to see you again after a long stint. Uh, really yeah. nice to catch up and to hear what you've been doing. It's great to actually be in a similar um, space than you. And it's been refreshing to hear your perspective. So thank you very much. All the best lot, with the man. family and, uh, Thanks, and your Thanks, future ben. career. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Changing Lives, brought to you by Australian Paramedical College. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider rating it, leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to stay tuned for all future episodes. Did you know we're also on YouTube? Search for Changing Lives Podcast and you can watch our episodes in HD video, see the studio and put a face to a name. Speaking of studios, this podcast was filmed, recorded and produced by Make Media Studios. Special thanks to our audio-visual engineer and editor, Jose Biotto. And as always, it has been great to be with you. Until next time, don't stop changing lives. <laughs>